0: Um, I've had a lot of experience trying to teach things in unusual ways that has been successful. Like when I was um, when I was in med school, I wrote a play about the ethics challenges that face medical students, mm. um, and we published it and then it got performed a few times. Uh, and using that sort of medium to like express the actual real world experience of clerks and uh, elective students. Um, like a natural way to to show that things are different when you don't know anything compared to when you are graduated and you know all the facts and you can present them confidently to your patients um the first time you solve a problem you encounter all the learning because you have to learn how to solve it and each problem is broken up into smaller pieces of information that you need to master and Mm -hmm. communicate about and so you You sort of enter this in a very different phase of your life when you're younger.
1: Okay. What's flashing me back to late night call shifts and cold pizza on internal medicine teaching unit. My name is Jeff and I'm the host of this podcast, How It's Med, on this series, Physician Founded, which is made in partnership with Macadamian. We chat with physician founders who are shaping the future of healthcare. Our guest today is dr joshua landy the inimitable co-founder of figure one uh, critical care doc and ice cream maker
0: <laughs> yeah you got it uh yeah among a few other things but like absolutely making ice cream is something i like to do uh when the weather's appropriate um I like to make some weird stuff i like to make some regular stuff and i like to take other people's
1: recipes and improve them. okay what's your favorite flavor of ice cream that you've made before though
0: Hmm um weird flavor no you know what it's the same answer uh the answer is uh matcha and oreo uh which i call cookies and green (laughs) and it is unbelievable like the bitterness of the matcha and the uh you have to use a whole uh tray of oreos though you can't skip uh and the and the ice cream just turns out that sounds
1: delicious but i mean you're, you're you're ripping that kirkland sweater as we were talking about off air and i told you to save it Oh, what's the story behind yeah. that? I I mean, I love Costco. But...
0: No, I think this is a great business play by uh, Costco team. Uh, they made these um, Kirkland sweatshirts, and they're, you know, they don't look like anything special. They're just black uh, crewneck sweatshirts with the Kirkland brand on the chest. And they are incredible quality. Like, this is Lululemon quality sweatshirt at Kirkland price, and... What I want to guess is happening there is they were like, let's make a killer sweatshirt. Let's like make it three hundred dollars. We'll sell it to them for thirty five dollars, and they will just blow their minds like at the amazing quality of Costco's brand. Uh, because I will like this is maybe the nicest sweatshirt I own. Uh, <laughs> Maybe that says more about my uh, taste in clothes than it does about Costco's quality program. Uh,
1: welcome to How It's Meta a podcast where we talk about the benefits of wearing Costco clothes. Gosh, uh, how are you doing overall?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. I uh, just came off like a sort of multi-week long stint in the hospital and, uh, you know, COVID's still raging and people Oof. still getting sick. Um, and it's busy, it's busy and I'm tired, but I'm glad to be off and joining you to to talk about figure and
1: thank one. you for joining to talk about figure one and your experiences in founding as well. Really excited to chat with you, but let's dive right in. Um, I mean, the, the, the question that I usually start with largely is, you know, what drove you towards medicine, but I'm just going to fold that into like, what drove you towards internal medicine and critical care, because there's so much to your story that I don't want to focus on this like origin story too much. Sure. Um,
0: so i uh i knew i wanted to uh practice some sort of medicine with a lot of depth and when you go through your rotations um the one that seems to have an unending pool of things you can know about and learn about is internal medicine Mm -hmm. that was like a no-brainer choice for me um but within that like you know i have this uh nerdy want to read about stuff geek out on the specifics kind of side that's my internal medicine uh that's That's why I liked Mm -hmm. internal medicine, but I also have this incredibly impatient, only give me information that I can do something with side. Uh, And that's the critical care side, right? So being able to intervene in a moment when somebody really needs the help, that felt like the right time for me to participate because one, you can't wait, you gotta be impatient. And two, uh, there's loads of depth and uh, critical illness uh, can get really geeky if you want uh, and so talking about those types of physiology really drove me and my curiosity mad and that's what I wanted to do uh, with, with my career um I loved the training I thought the overall the quality of education in the postgraduate medical education zone was okay, not great uh, and that's what sort of drove me to think about medical education as I closed out my mm-hmm, fellowship.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, you're really preparing me for my crimes interviews here. Thank you. Thank you. really appreciate it. Um, <laughs> no problem. I guess I, I remember from my CTU days that internal medicine really was the core of, I mean, how I learned how to doctor. Um, so why did you choose to go down the route of the opposite side of that, which is medical education? Is it an inevitable part of internal medicine and critical care, or is it something that you've relished?
0: Um. I think a lot about how the information is delivered to the learners, um, and what it actually means to have learned something like the, the, um, philosophy of knowledge and of education and the epistemology that surrounds it all. And, um, is, is interesting to me and not interesting to most people. But, um, I know that, um, I've had a lot of experience trying to teach things in unusual ways that has been successful. Like when I, was, um, when I was in med school, I wrote a play about the ethics challenges that face medical students mm-hmm. um, and we published it and then it got performed a few times uh, and using that sort of medium to like express the actual real world experience of clerks and uh, elective students um, felt like a natural way to, to show that things are different when you don't know anything compared to when you are graduated and you know all the facts and you can present them confidently to your patients. Um, The first time you solve a problem, you encounter all the learning because you have to learn how to solve it. And each problem is broken up into smaller pieces of information that you need to master and Mm -hmm. communicate about. And so you, you sort of enter this in a very different phase of your life when you're younger. And, uh, that always stuck with me that like learning something the first time is very different from refining your, your technique or your knowledge later on. Um, and because medicine is such a learn as you go kind of field, um, it means that cases, case-based learning is yeah. the only way. It means that everything you learn, you learn by doing like physically being present, getting stuck to the problem and having to sort it out. Yeah um the hard way yeah uh so that sort of knowledge like really threw me towards medical education in the field of like how do we take these real world experiences of learning things the hard way which by the way you do in entrepreneurship too uh and how do we catapult that uh into an everyday experience where people can conquer and collect the uh all the knowledge they need of these experiences, uh, and, and, and is there any way to compile that and deliver it to people as directly as mm-hmm. possible? So um, the research that I did uh, right after I finished fellowship was about what young physicians were doing with their phones. And it turns out they're mostly texting and emailing uh, cases to each other. Now this is back in 2013, right? Probably no one's emailing cases to each other anymore, but that that asynchronous behavior of, hey, I saw this ECG, it looks weird, what's what's going on here? And you text that to your senior, uh, or you're in a group chat with your attending and they go back and forth and you learn about, oh yeah, that's okay. If I see, you know, this particular PR segment, elongation with inverted T waves, right? And now I'm thinking about pericarditis. And now all of us have seen that ECG and the group learns from your experience of not knowing something. Um, so being able to package that concept and say, take all the cases from anyone who's seeing cases and has pictures of them on their phones and describing them to others, uh, that is what turned into uh, Figure One, uh, which is a case-sharing platform
1: for mobile devices. That's fascinating, I was, yeah, she stole my, aunt. Oh, my cat my just walked on the screen. Um, that just, that really, I guess, sets the scene for where this all grew from overall, but Figure One, has grown so, so much since then. So, I mean, there's a huge gap between understanding that people share information on their phones, on medical teams and building a startup out of it. So how did these ideas fold into the founding of a startup or what were the circumstances or people that you had around you that allowed you to actually act on this need that you noticed?
0: This is great. I'm so glad I get to tell this story. So, um, I graduated, I, uh, practiced critical care for, uh, about a year. And during that time I was, uh, when you, maybe I'll set the scene by saying, when you finish your fellowship and you start practicing, um, there is a realization that you now have to figure out what to do with the rest of your time. Because you're used to working five to seven days a week and those days are not right those aren't eight hour days those are 10 12 16 hour days and when you graduate if you're a critical care doc you get a week of work and then a little later you get another week of work and then a little later you get another week of work and you are sitting at home wondering what the hell am i supposed to do i
1: i've
0: got the next two and a half weeks off i've never had like i've never had a break that long since second year med school, when I took a research job instead of relaxing in the summer. So, um, you need to figure out like a whole new set of time management. Now this probably, you know, you can open a clinic and just work yourself every day if you want. Um, but if you've got other stuff to do, like, I don't know, like learn a choreographed dance from a music video that you liked or watch all three matrix movies, I guess there's four now. Uh, or like watch all seven Terminator movies, yep. like you need some time. So you gotta devote yourself to your passions, uh, is what yeah. I'm saying. I just... anyway, so I had this time and, and me and my buddies were starting to figure out some things we could do. And one of the things we could do is we could trade stocks and we could get a little group together to talk about it. And we thought, well, maybe we could formalize this and make it into like an official stock trading discussion group. And so we did, and we did that for a few months until we realized it was illegal. And then we had to, we had to turn it off we had to give everybody their money back, um, in it, you know, it, you know, just in full honesty, they, uh, changed the law while we had built the group. So it wasn't illegal yeah. when we started. And then like a few months in it was like, actually guys, you gotta not do this. And so we had to disband, but in that time. I had come home from uh, this research position uh, at Stanford, where where we had studied these things that prompted the idea of being able to share medical cases. And we were just going over the balance sheet together, me and my friends. And um, we were talking about what we were gonna do as we disbanded this group, and what other sorts of businesses did we wish we could invest in. And we got to talking about possible startups, and we got to talk about different kinds of technology, And I mentioned this idea and it was sort of one of those diner moments where everybody in the diner is quiet and you can hear the cutlery clink on the plate. Uh, And they go, oh, that's a pretty good idea actually. And I was like, yeah, but like there's lots of good ideas. And one of the guys at the table says, well, I could probably build something like that, like a prototype type thing in a few weeks. Uh, And he had just finished uh, working for a large, uh, Toronto-based startup that was, uh, uh, sold to a Japanese conglomerate. So he had a bit of time on his hands. And another guy said, I bet I could raise some money for something like that. And we said, all right, we should, we should circle back on this. And so we did like three days later, we had coffee and hashed out like, what is a company if it builds this case sharing platform for medical professionals, uh, And we talked about it and we decided we were going to try and see how far we could get in a couple of months. So we all sort of split up, um, did our own little jobs. And then by the time January rolled around, we had a prototype that we had shown to friends and family. We had a few hundred thousand dollars that were raised by those same friends and family, uh, including some of my colleagues. And, um, we just started the company. We hired, we hired somebody to, help build our website and apply for grants. We hired somebody to help write the code that we needed to do. We hired some lawyers to help us sort out all the privacy situations about what it means to share medical cases in a privacy safe way. How do we protect those privacy um, elements? And then we waited till all the legal stuff was worked out. And May, 2013, the app was in the app store.
1: That. I mean, you you said that you had helped write a play before, but you could totally write a screenplay out of this. I I truly believe that, (laughs) um, or you're just a very, very, very good storyteller or both. But, um, you know, just talking about that journey from that point, the startup to where you are now, like, what are the biggest challenges that you and perhaps your team faced in growing such like such an enterprise?
0: Mm, Um, there's like a million challenges and I don't want to gloss over the hard ones in order to tell you about the easy ones so I can look super successful. Um, but I mean, in truth, one of the hardest parts is getting people to try it out because you, you know, you might approach people with your idea and say, Hey, we got this case sharing app for mobile devices. And, uh, they say one of two things they say, Oh, that, that is a good idea. Or they say, oh yeah, I thought of that too. Like, okay, well, like, where's your app? Um, But to convince people to actually download it and try it out, especially when it's brand new, um, not everyone in medicine, in fact, I'll say almost nobody in medicine, is a true early adopter. And so, I think this is, um, you're, you're tilting your head because I think you maybe see yourself
1: and maybe your colleagues... As early adopters. Um, um I was going to um, ask why is that, but I, I, I'm answering that in my head right now, but I'll let you speak.
0: <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think the answer is that, uh, in healthcare, in, uh, in medicine, in hospitals and in universities, uh, the mindset is around, uh, safety and consistency and not around innovation and, uh, rapidly iterating and changing scenarios. And I think that's part of why healthcare has uh, a safety reputation to uphold, is they move slowly so they don't make any mistakes. Because in business, you can make tons of errors, and in fact, you're probably supposed to in order to get stuff right quickly. But that's not the case in medicine. You can't just, like, go around trying a bunch of things to see what works. No, you got to use what you know works. And by the way, if you use stuff that you know doesn't work, or you don't know if it works or not, but you had a good alternative, you know, you've done a bad job and you're going to
1: get in trouble. That's fair enough. That's fair enough.
0: So, yeah. So I think that's why, I mean, it's not a natural fit, like innovation in healthcare are not a, they're not a great fit. Um, but of course, you know, research keeps going like academic research, uh, takes somewhere between seven and 17 years to take a discovery and turn it into a product that's out in the marketplace. But when you've got this idea in September and you want to make it an app before November. Right. You, you can't go through the, like, I don't, you don't have time to do that kind of research. I mean, the mobile wave would have been over if we waited that long. It's only been, what, nine years since we started the company. We could still be, we can still be writing the papers for the initial research if we went at the same pace as, uh, academic innovation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've asked this question time and time again with regard to academic innovation, um, and there, there have been a lot of different answers. Some people in the medical device space have said you know, do your academic research to build clout so that you're able to work your way into a role as a CMO, et cetera. But it seems like your way of doing it is just if it's, for example, a community based teaching based solution, then perhaps going the regular route is too slow.
0: I mean, yeah. I think that's true. It, it would have been certainly for me and for my yeah. level of patience. Um. You know, it depends what the solution is. Our goal was to avoid invoking, uh, the type of, um, research and, um, I don't know. We wanted to avoid spending so much time doing any of these things. And so we said, we're not going to sell to hospitals. We're going to put this app on the phones and in the hands of providers because they're just going to be able to download it from the app store, um, but sales cycles to uh academic institutions can be years long um procurement was something that one of my one of my co-founders his family had gone through so many procurement cycles because his family's business was building tools oh in healthcare and he oh said <laughs> you know when he decided he when he just, when he went to business school he said to himself i am never doing a healthcare startup ever again and then it was like The first week he had finished school and I was like, figure what? And he was like, all right, figure one. (laughs) But, but you know, it was on the agreement that we were going to put this in the app store, we were going to put this in the hands of providers so people could adapt, adopt it rapidly because we didn't want to go through those. procurement cycles Mm -hmm. or those sales cycles or the academic cycles. You show this to 20 people. It works. You share a case, you see them talking about it and it works. That's the job. The job is to talk more about medicine.
1: What pushback did you face? Because I know you mentioned some people are like, oh, you know, I thought of that already, um, etc. But I think emotionally, one of the hardest things to deal with is a a, a lot of the criticism that you can handle. But criticism may just be passionate disagreement in some form that can actually help you grow your startup. But back to the point, what was what, what were some of the criticisms that you faced early on that you had to deal with?
0: Um, well, uh, the privacy one was one we knew we okay. were going to run into, and so we prepared heavily so that anytime uh, I was doing press for the, for the app um, or for the company, we would, we, would, we would set it up so they would ask us about privacy in a way that maybe they would feel like they were about to get the upper hand, but it was a trap because we had built our app with privacy in mind. I mean, we literally uh, the process we used was called privacy by design. And it meant that our servers could be hacked, our everyone's app could be compromised and still no private information would be available. Um, this is all on my uh, co-founder's brilliant uh, suggestion, something that he discovered in his years of professional communication working at the UN, that um, the best way to keep a secret is not to know it. So we just said, all right, no privacy information on this app at all. We don't want names. We don't want case numbers. We don't want birthdays, anything that could potentially be similar to a HIPAA violation, no unique jewelry, no tattoos. And this was like, these are, uh, you know, in 2015, this was rigid privacy, um, because there wasn't a lot of innovation in the space. So creating a tool like this and sort of saying, yeah, we'll go first. We'll try it out. Um meant that we had to be really strong in privacy. So that was something that we faced early on. Um, and we just, you know, uh, prepared our defense and led people into, uh, into asking us the questions so that we could appear strong in our responses. That's really interesting.
1: I mean, I think a lot of that must have taken coordination between your team members and yourself with the skill sets and insights that are unique to who you all are or were as individuals. So it kind of leads into my next question. Which is what roles um, did you play, and what roles did you not play, or were delegated to your teammates? Because as physicians, it's easy to say, "I I, I want to try to do it all," but you you can't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um. And physicians, by the way, are particularly bad at this. I've seen a number of physician-run startups mm-hmm. where the docs like, "Oh, I went. I'm smart. I have people skills. I can do any of this." Um. I think that's. A problematic assumption, because uh, you can't. Like you literally can't do everything on your own. You need a team, and you need to be able to trust your team. Now that said, like at the beginning, we were a team of three people, and then kind of quickly, we were a team of five people. But that's not a big team. Like that's a team you can get your arms around, uh, literally and figuratively, uh, and you can uh, you can. You can sit down and say, how are we going to deal with this problem? What what, what pieces of this? Can I give you this part of my job? Uh, can I take away this part of your job and do it myself uh, so that you can take on something else? Um, and, you know, I knew that I was going to be really happy with a role where I get to talk about how this could change medicine and talk about how this could change education. And I could talk happily about how it would integrate into the clinical role. And I would happily do all of that uh, with um improvisation because you know i had had like i you know like in university i was a bit of theater kid and i did a bunch of like you know acting and improv and like this writing and i directed a bunch of stuff in fact my co-founder uh he was a he was a playwright before i was and uh i produced and directed several of his plays as an undergrad um so we were friends from like summer camp way back um Sort of we you know so we had we had already had a kind of working relationship where he was going to be the one who sort of drew up the plans for how the whole thing was going to go and i was going to get to embody it or envision it or create it uh and then so this was sort of a recapitulation of that same dynamic with the added benefit of having a technical co-founder who's now one of my closest friends who was able to advise us on this works this doesn't work uh when you want to build it, you have to be careful of this. And privacy in technicality means this. And so when you're talking to the press, uh, you know, or investors, to be honest, you, know, you throw in a term from here, you, you add something that you learned, you, throw, you, know, you pass it to your teammate when, you're, when they're ready to talk about their piece. Uh, and the whole thing feels a bit like, I don't know, some sort of intellectual sport.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of How It's Med. If you liked what you heard, please download and rate our episodes on whatever platform you listen on. Also, if you have any feedback on what you just heard, we'd love to hear it wherever you listen to or on our website, howitsmed.com. That way we can create better content that suits you. Until next time, bye-bye.